I'm Seth for Privacy, and thanks so much for joining us on the journey to sovereignty. We're beyond thrilled to have a place for us to chat about all things sovereignty, the why and how of reclaiming your digital sovereignty, and to give you all a chance to chime in, ask questions, and join the conversation. Journey to Sovereignty is brought to you by Foundation, where we build Bitcoin-centric tools that empower you to reclaim your digital sovereignty. This includes our Passport Hardware Wallet and Envoy mobile app. So for today, I really wanted to cover the Oslo Freedom Forum that we got to attend last week. One of the things that drew me to Foundation was this team's wholehearted love for human freedom. And it's something that has been near and dear to me for many years now, um, but something that I've come to really appreciate the power of Bitcoin when it comes to human freedom. So I was really excited that we got to participate as a team at the Oslo Freedom Forum this year, uh, as it really aligns well with the core ethos of our team. Uh, we actually sponsored this year by giving away 15 passports to to attendees who had a, a clear need for a better way to store and use their Bitcoin as they fight for freedom. And it was really, really cool to see in a, a boots on the ground sense how Bitcoin is helping these people out. So I'm really excited to share their stories with you all throughout the year. Uh, and we'll do that starting with today's episode. So as always, I'm joined by Bitcoin Q&A, Head of Customer Experience here at Foundation. And this week, I'm also excited to be joined by Jack, another teammate. How's it going, guys? Yeah, do well, Seth. Good to be back on. I am uh, just recovering from some sunburn uh, from Norway. Believe it or not, I didn't actually know that Norway could get hot enough to get sunburn, uh, which was a pleasant surprise. But uh, yeah, I had a fantastic week. And uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, covering the details. Yeah. Hey, Seth. Thanks for having me. First time here over here. So uh, yeah, really excited. I guess Q&A, uh, 1am sunburn, right? That's the type of uh, sun they have over in Oslo. It's weird, but it, it they seem to make it work. So um Right. Thanks, Seth. Yeah, I was very surprised to hear how how hot and sunny Oslo was. I think I just uh, just always assumed it was going to be freezing cold no matter what time of year it was. Even though I know that's not a very uh, not a very well informed view, so definitely surprised there. Um, and sadly, I didn't get to attend this year. So a lot of uh, a lot of this a lot of this chat is going to be me living vicariously through the two of you uh, and really learning from y'all about what your what your big takeaways were for Oslo Freedom Forum. Um, so thankfully y'all got to go, you got to connect with journalists, dissidents, and a host of people who are seeking freedom across the globe last week. Uh, but for those of us who haven't been able to get out to the Oslo Freedom Forum yet, what was the overall event actually like? I know it's very different from your, your normal conference. Yeah, definitely. Um, this is the the main focus of the of the conference or or of the forum is is absolutely not Bitcoin. Uh, there are small portions of it that do have Bitcoin, which we're we're going to cover off uh, later on. Uh, but the main focus was freedom. Um, the event attracts um, activists, dissidents, people who um, have been exiled from their own countries by having opposing opinions to the the powers in those countries, and it's about showcasing those people's stories. Um, and how you know the, the impact that they're having uh, in pushing back against the various different types of abuse, torture, or oppression um, in wherever that is that they come from. Uh, so the event was split up um, into sort of AM and PM sessions. The AM sessions were run in uh, a main, rather large auditorium uh, where we got to hear some of the the real heartfelt stories from some of these dissidents and activists around the world. Um, many of them. Um, were very hard to hear but you know i was personally almost brought to tears a couple of times by hearing some of the the horrendous amounts of um 
uh, torture and abuse that some of these uh, activists have had to go through simply for, you know, just having a dissenting opinion uh, and speaking out against the status quo wherever they come from. So um, as much as it was kind of an enjoyable event, um, it was some of those stories were really hard to hear and to, to kind of, it was a big wake up call uh, as somebody who comes from a somewhat privileged Westerner uh, viewpoint. Uh, in the afternoon, we had um, some breakout sessions uh, in much smaller rooms that were covering more specific topics, uh, all, all loosely tied around sort of freedom, um, but they all broke out into things like Bitcoin, of course, artificial intelligence, digital security, uh, even down to things like mental health uh, and then location-specific stuff uh, around kind of oppression in China or Hong Kong um, and things like that all over the world. And then finally, on Thursday, it was held at a separate location, um, which was a, an absolutely beautiful location on the waterfront overlooking the Opera House. Um, and this was my personal favourite day um, because there was um, what's called the Financial Freedom Track uh, that had hours and hours of talks focused on, again, the same sort of activists and dissidents, but how they were um, using Bitcoin as a tool to um, push back against the, the financial oppression that they or their organizations had been faced with. So it was quite a right, wide-ranging thing. And for somebody like myself, who's only ever really been to a Bitcoin conference, it was a quite a big step change, um, but it was absolutely a worthwhile experience. Uh, and I'm really, really looking forward to go back next year if we can make it. Yeah, I think that's the the big thing when I think about Oslo Freedom Forum is that, that many of us, especially if we kind of like got into the conference scene because of Bitcoin, we've only really been exposed to kind of the Bitcoin centric conferences. I mean, I've been to other technical conferences outside of the Bitcoin space, but but they're really usually focused on the the technology and the the how and usually not on the the why as much, even though that's always a, a bit of it. But I think that was a really interesting part um, in what you were just breaking down and that like the main focus was around freedom as a general topic and not necessarily Bitcoin. Um, but how would, how would the two of you compare the Freedom Forum with other more kind of standard Bitcoin conferences? Um, not to denigrate other conferences or anything like that. We, we love so many conferences in the space, but just to kind of uh, talk about some of the differences there. Yeah, so I think Q&A already touched like the main points, but at the uh, Oslo Freedom Forum, Bitcoin was a side event. It was not the main focus, right? And this made it slightly different in several ways. So. Um, Again, like you may say, there was like this one big stage where all the all the uh, main talks were held, and there was like what what almost felt like meeting rooms, uh, where all the other minor talks were. There wasn't like any any booths, or there wasn't nothing. There wasn't anything for sale there. It was there wasn't any like company, um, any major company, you know, big major Bitcoin company making announcements or like trying to sell you like their next big product, the next big thing, right? It was more of a conference about gathering everyone that had something to say in regards to freedom. Um, people that had to fight for freedoms that you almost take for granted, right? So in regards to Bitcoin specifically um, and how the, the, the Bitcoin aspect of it was different from the uh, from other mainstream Bitcoin events, I'd say that um, since it was a side gig, no one really stopped by and asked us like, you know, things like, how many coins do you support? You know, that's which is broken at so many levels, right? That question is just broken at so many levels. But um, we didn't get that question like anywhere. Like we, we didn't even get close to getting that question, right? No one was there for the uh, number go up technology. Um, um, everyone that was there understood Bitcoin as a means to obtain their um, sought after financial freedom, right? No one was there asking like, how's the Bitcoin price doing? Is it going up? Is it going down? We're in a bull run. We're in a, 
uh, we're in a bear cycle. Like no one really cared about how many sats provide we're in the next block. There was hell. There was no wizards jumping on stage like cheering for monkey JPEGs. You know, it's a different type of conference. We're not there. So um, these things are just the nuances that 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 in Oslo people didn't really care about. Like don't get me wrong, they're important. We have to like talk about them and, and discuss them um, in Bitcoin conferences. But this conference was just as a, hey, how can I? use Bitcoin to pay my unbanked workers? How can I uh, pay lawyers for political dissidents without my you know, government blocking me? Or, or how can I actually use Bitcoin as a tool, right? Um, so the fact that Bitcoin was like a side thing in, in the otherwise like freedom-oriented forum, I think that got rid of all the noise that we're used to in like other uh, mainstream Bitcoin conferences. And it made it focus more on the essentials, right? And that, that was just, it was different and it was beautiful, honestly. Like, a Q&A, I don't know if you have something to add here, but it was, it was great. It felt different in that regard. Yeah, no, completely echo those thoughts. I think the only other realization that I had was whilst there were many people who have realized the, the benefits of Bitcoin, especially in, in their specific situations around, you know, uh, writing around the state to be able to, to move money and to, to be able to receive donations. And again, we're going to cover, cover some of those uh, examples shortly. Um, I did have a bit of a wake-up call uh, that there was still a significant portion of the crowd that either weren't interested in, in Bitcoin or that you know potentially just needed more education on it to understand the benefits of it. So whilst it was you know fantastic to see, uh, like Jack said, that there were lots of people that are already leveraging Bitcoin. I still think there's uh, a lot of work to do to, to kind of spread this to even more people that can benefit from it. And I guess that's why yes. uh, there are um, events like the Oslo Freedom Forum and, and, and much uh, many more similar to it to try and continue raising those uh, that, that awareness. So I think, yeah, definitely a positive thing, but definitely still some more work to do. And, you know, the guys at HRF are, are doing a fantastic job. Yeah, it's one of the the crazy things I think is when you break past the the Bitcoin as the the why, and I think you start to think of Bitcoin as the how to achieving human freedom. It really changes the the perspective, and it it feels like that was kind of the one of the core aspects of also Freedom Forum, and that that Bitcoin is one of the the key tools, like very 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 important because financial sovereignty and financial freedom is is key to enabling broader human freedom, but that it's it's a, an immensely powerful tool, but one that we still have to educate people on. We still have to get the the word out on how Bitcoin is not just a, not just a stock, not just a number go up investment, but can actually be this immensely powerful tool for human freedom that we've we've never had in the history of civilization before, which is a, a crazy, crazy thought. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad that that the Freedom Forum is really highlighting that. So uh, kind of adding on to that and getting into some of the specific details of the, the things that stood out to y'all uh, at the conference, but what were some of the ways that you you saw Bitcoin concretely aiding human freedom in the stories and presentations at the conference? Uh, and then were there, were there any that have really stuck with you um, since since heading home after the conference last week? Yeah, I think one of my standouts was, was um, a, a lady called Anna Chekovic. Uh, she is a, an activist and the financial director of the Anti-Corruption Foundation, uh, which is the organization that was originally founded, I believe, by uh, Alexei Navalny, which is probably a name that most people have heard of. He was the main opposition uh, leader to, to Mr. Putin over in Russia. Um, 
uh, Alexei Navalny was was poisoned with a, a, a Soviet-made nerve agent uh, back in 2020 when he was on a trip to uh, Siberia. Um, and then he was also later imprisoned uh, for, I think it was 12 years, on uh, what her uh, organisation are reportedly calling false accusations of fraud and uh, contempt of court. So it basically sounds like a bit of a hatchet job to, to kind of uh, get rid of the competition there, which um, probably isn't surprising. Um, together with other members of uh, her foundation, Anna has also been persecuted by the, the Russian regime and was forced to leave the country back in 2019 under pressure of, of another criminal case. So she's been working on uh, major opposition projects uh, and the Anti-Corruption Foundation has been using Bitcoin in order to avoid government surveillance since uh, as early as 2016. Um, so Bitcoin has helped her foundation maintain opposition activities within Russia, whilst their local bank accounts were under constant attack from uh, from the regime in Russia as, again. Um, and I think they've also had to move and uh, relocate that the, the base of that foundation to, to Lithuania again through uh, after them being um, labelled as an extremist organisation within Russia. And when she was given one of her talks, she actually brought up a screenshot of the um, one of the organisations that she's a part of, uh, their bank account. And she said that she logged in one day um, after having a lot of, um, I think it was after that they'd been labeled an extremist uh, organization within Russia. She logged into the, the company's bank account, sorry, the organization's bank account, um, and it had minus 1.4 billion rubles in there. Now, I'm not clever enough to be able to quickly convert that into dollars, but I'd imagine it's still quite a lot in dollar terms. Um, so it just really paints a picture that, you know, if you are part of the opposition uh, in um, a, a regime where there is sort of a, a large central power that isn't afraid to kind of wield their their power with you know through the banking system, um, Bitcoin is literally offering a lifeline to her and and to the people in their organisation so they can continue to to push back and you know fight against corruption within uh, Ru Russia. Yeah, that was a pretty powerful speech. Um, there was like a whole panel on dictators, how, like how dictators go to um, the first thing they do is just shut down your your financial system, right? Because they have access to it. So the legacy financial system um, can be shut down. So that was a pretty powerful one. Um, I can think of another one that's um, somewhat different in a way. Um, so uh, Roya Mahbub, I think that's, I, I, I'm pretty sure I mispronounced that, but um she's the she's the uh, she's a ceo uh she's from afghanistan um she had i think she has multiple companies um and she was telling how like about 85 percent of people in afghanistan are unbanked and that well it's a pretty high number but disproportionately affects women um so she has these companies where she hires mostly women. Uh, she's the co-founder of the Afghan Girls Robotics Team, uh, CEO of the Digital Citizen Fund. So she's got a, a, a multiple gigs going on. Um, and so she had this problem where she was hiring like programmers and coders and whatnot. And, and she had these tech companies growing like crazy, uh, but she was completely unable to pay their employees because they were unbanked, right? They didn't have They didn't have a bank account. So how do you pay your employees without a bank account? Well. She found ways around that. Um, apparently, there's something called Hawala or something like that. Where there's like a system where you could like send cash to someone. Um, I, I, I'm not too familiar with that system, but um, apparently, it's like some sort of sending sending physical money, right? So they were having this problem where um, the husbands of these uh, female employees 
were intercepting these uh, envelopes with cash or, or whatnot. And, and so they were eventually like essentially controlling the finances of the of the or of her female employees, right? Um, same happened for those lucky ones that had that did have a bank account. The bank account didn't belong to them; belonged to their husbands. So they're they're if they're not married to their uh, closest relative, uh, male, um, right? So they would intercept all the payments for their employees. So um, she was thinking about this until I think she talked to um, Alex Gladstein. Um, she's been using Bitcoin since 2013 to like uh, route around this, what she calls a physical barrier. Um, and so she's been able to like pay her employees with Bitcoin. And so things like that, like getting your employees a salary, right? Things like you don't even think of that as a freedom, but it's possible to not be able to do that, right? So this was like the type of things that, that blew my mind. And she also talked about how um, she told stories about how when the Taliban got to power in 2021, um, how after that, all the banking system just collapsed and most of them just worked with cash, um, but Bitcoin was still working, right? And that's that's the environment where, where Bitcoin thrives. thrives. Um, but apparently how the, you know, she also told stories about how the Taliban learned about that and they started like, since they weren't able to control that because that's literally like what Bitcoin is, it's sort of, it's uncontrolled, like no one can get a hand of it, right? Um, so they essentially just made Bitcoin illegal. And she mentioned how like, not regardless, like young people are still like using it to make payments under the table and stuff. But yeah, so something as basic as just getting your employees paid, like not being able to pay for your employees. And in this case, not because there was like a totalitarian um, government, which in the end it happened to be that way, uh, but just because there's like this cultural thing where your employees don't get paid because their their male relatives control their finances, right? So um, empowering women and, and freeing them this way, that was, it was it was impressive to, to see. Um, so Q&A, if, if you're okay with this, I think I'm gonna go with another example. Um, I think uh, another one that really stood out to me because there was like these crazy stories. Like, they, it's hard, all right. I'm gonna say it's hard to like pick a bunch of them. Um, I, I I grabbed Royas because it was different, but the next one I'm gonna go with is uh, Farida Naborema, which I'm pretty sure I vastly like I, I mispronounced that as well. She's a Togolese human rights uh, rights defender living in an exile right now in Ghana, if I'm not mistaken. She told this crazy story how her and you know people working for her like ngos and stuff um they had to like they they were working in in togo right but they had their accounts their their legacy finance system um like frozen they couldn't like just get any money out of out of adms or anything um so they had to walk all the way you know drive to the to the um frontier with ghana just cross the border go to ghana then open a bank account in Ghana and get paid through your bank account in your neighboring country, you know, then walk there whenever you needed money, take money out of an ATM and then walk all the way back to Togo with a bag full of cash. Like it's that bad when, when the government goes after your financial, uh, you know, your, your banking system or whatever. Right. Um, she told, she told us how in the end um, it, turns out that the Togolese government soon got access to like the Ghanaian banking system and they even like froze those accounts too. So there's like, there was no way around that. It's like, all right, we're done. There's there's nothing we can do. We can no longer cross the border with like bags of cash, right? We, we can no longer do that. Um, so they found Bitcoin and uh, they've been routing payments with Bitcoin successfully, right? Uh, evading these Togolese 
blockade um, since I, I don't I don't remember the year, but like since a couple of years ago, I think with uh, when again Alex Gladstein reached out to them. Um, she also happens to be the founder of the Africa Bitcoin Conference that happens in Ghana. I think every year. Um, I think this year runs December first through third. So big kudos to her for that. Um, yeah, big big personalities here. So uh, it was super exciting to hear these stories firsthand, and they're just you know. It's not the typical stories you hear when, when you go when you attend to a Bitcoin Bitcoin conference, right? Yeah, definitely. There, there seems to be a bit of a theme emerging here. You know, uh, government decides they don't like you. People turn to Bitcoin as an alternative when they're left with no other uh, no other option. So, uh, yeah, the, the the final the final example I've got um, is uh, from a guy uh, who I was fortunate enough to share a couple of beers with one night actually as well. Goes by the 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 name KG. Uh, he's actually the founder of a, a company called Mashankura which a few people listening to this might have actually heard of because it's uh, somewhat uh, yeah, it's somewhat talked about in the, in the sort of Bitcoin Twitter sphere. Um, Machine Core is a system where people are able to send text messages to one, one another to pay in Bitcoin. Um, and it's uh, gained a, a fair bit of traction in Africa where, you know, smartphones aren't exactly uh, easy to come by for a lot of the population. Um, and this service allows people that don't have an ID, don't have a bank account, um, and that can't afford a phone, uh, and maybe not have any even any internet data because uh, it's, it's either too expensive or the, the local network is just not good enough. Um, this service, Mashinkora, is is allowing people to access um, Bitcoin to be able to to participate in their local economy. Um, the service at the moment is uh, a custodial one, just due to the way that it works. Uh, but people do have ac access to be able to you know interface with the Bitcoin network without having to need all of the overheads that people in the Western countries take for advantage like fast internet and expensive phones and things like that so uh, if anybody wants to check that one out uh, it's uh, the website is 833.mobi um, and I, when I was sh uh, fortunate enough to share a couple of beers with him uh, he did have some uh, quite interesting plans actually to turn this into a non-custodial service as well which uh, as I'm sure everybody listening to this nice. will, will you know understand the value of as well so um, definitely one that we are going to be watching um, and yeah Shout out to KG for doing awesome work uh, for for Bitcoiners in Africa. Um, I know he's uh, he's pretty much the, the the head of the team there, and it, it has put all of this work in himself as well. So to be able to allow people to interact with the Bitcoin system that you know would otherwise be uh, completely just priced out of it because of their personal situation. So lots of examples there, Seth, and I'm sure uh, Jack and I could probably go on for hours and hours based yeah. on all the stories that we heard. But uh, yeah, those are some highlights for for us. Yeah, it's hard to relate wrap my mind around all of the things i mean those are just like you said a a handful of stories of people who are who are seeing like real life change because of this like en enabling real businesses that couldn't exist otherwise enabling people fighting against uh human rights abuses that could not could not exist could not happen without bitcoin and like i I feel like those of us in relatively safe, peaceful Western countries, it's it's really hard to grasp how important Bitcoin can be to others across the globe and and how important Bitcoin could be for us if things take a turn for the worst. And I, I think like when I hear and walk through these stories, it's so helpful to give me perspective on what Bitcoin is, what it can be, what it can do uh, in, a, in a real world sense. Because it, it's easy to get lost, especially like, I'm more on the technical side. I love the, the actual technology behind how Bitcoin works, getting into the weeds on privacy technology and all these things. But I feel like it's very easy for me to lose perspective and lose this, this vision for what we can enable through Bitcoin and how it can really lead to, to human flourishing in a way that 
is impossible without it. Uh, it's just, it's amazing to think about that, but uh, I'm sure both of y'all come from, from similar Western backgrounds. Uh, I'd love to hear if, if the Freedom Forum helped to kind of change that, that struggle to grasp how important Bitcoin is for others across the globe. Yeah, I think you summarized my kind of uh, the wake up call that I had uh, beautifully there, Seth. Um, it's very easy to kind of, you know, um, pay pay lip service to, uh, you know, we have a common saying, oh, Bitcoin fixes this and it gets thrown around far, far too often for me. Um, and that kind of, you know, you, you spend all day on Bitcoin Twitter talking to other Bitcoiners who are passionate and 99% of them are from the Western world that live uh, a somewhat privileged life and, you know, somewhat treat Bitcoin as kind of a, a, a quasi stock that they just use to save in. Not saying there's anything wrong with that at all, but it's it's easy to, when you're you're not living under an oppressive regime and you don't have to worry about your bank account being shut down tomorrow or how you're going to pay your, your staff uh, next month and make payroll and things like that, to fall into that trap of just seeing Bitcoin as, you know, like a savings technology that, you know, has some cool technology behind it. So hearing stories like the example that, you know, the two of us have just given um, and how people are literally using Bitcoin today to ease their situation and to help their cause, uh, whether that is, you know, uh, banking people that don't have a bank account or that is receiving donations because you are pushing against corruption uh, in in Russia. Um, hearing those stories come from a human mouth um, and the, the trials and tribulations and, and the way that Bitcoin has... Um, fixed or at least helped their situation was a, a, a drastic wake up call for me to, uh, and, and also a, a kind of lit a fire under my ass again to, to seg- further cement that we're, you know, we're onto a good thing here and that we are uh, doing the right thing. Um, we've probably got a longer way to go, but um, yeah, absolutely a huge wake up call and, and um, just thankful to have been a part of it really. It was, it was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I think I could, I could not agree more with you, q um, It was eye-opening is the word. Yeah, it's like, I feel like everyone that, well, all of our listeners I'm taking, but everyone that works in, in, in Bitcoin and in the industry already like has an understanding of how powerful this technology is, or like how, how powerful it can be in like freeing the financials of people, right? But actually getting to see it firsthand, that was like a very, very special experience. Like almost, I don't know, say like, weird example but say you're a rocket scientist and you're working on like propellers technology to like make rockets go faster or 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 get longer or whatever but like you've never really seen a spaceship actually take off right you've seen videos of other rockets you've studied technology behind it you know how it works you know it should work because you know you work in that but you've never actually seen one and this conference was like in this example getting to Cape Canaveral and just seeing a massive like a 500 foot tall spaceship just take off in front of you like it's the feeling of being there and interacting with these people like of course you knew it was going to work like what's shocking is like actually being there and seeing it like with your own eyes right that's that's what's i, I guess eye opening or jaw dropping right seeing that works the way it was intended so um i think answer, answering the question i i i don't think um the conference changed the way i see bitcoin or the way it's going to go um but if anything, as Kiyone said, it, it reinforced the importance of the work we're doing here, right? Because sometimes it's easy to get lost in the detail, in the, hey, this button should be darker blue or like clearer blue, or like we're spending too much time on this, or like this feature is not this, like you're zoomed in into like the daily workload, but this conference was like a zoomed out, like a major view of like what we're doing, where we're headed and like, hey, 
we're making these people lives easier and like we're making bitcoin achievable and like easier to access for like more people like them so it was like a big i think you know you used the term wake up call i think i think um, i totally aligned with that it was like an eye opening experience being able to um being able to like leave that in, in first hand right and get to get to know all these people it was just amazing yeah do, do you know what's just cropped into my head um remember that sort of wow moment you have when you do your first on-chain transaction or the yeah, wow moment you have when you make your first lightning tracks and you're like you're like holy shit like it works it, it, it it's doing yep. something i i had the same sort of realization where on a much grander scale let's be fair uh where people are telling us these stories and they're like yeah bitcoin did this for me and and yeah it was it was very similar to that just on a, a, a much larger scale and really really heartwarming yeah so um just wanted to throw that analogy out there just to kind of make it hit home for the people yep. listening that you know this was this was a really powerful thing yeah, I, I love that, and it's uh, it's one of the reasons why I was so happy to to join Foundation. So excited was because people like like y'all are the people I work with every day. Who we're we're not just here to make money. We're not just here to build some some big tech company. Like that's not the vision. The vision is enabling human freedom. Uh, and so it's it's awesome to hear and like hear from y'all how you you met these people in real life. You shook hands. You you had a beer with with one of the guys whose story you were telling. It's crazy to to have that and use that as inspiration and something that I'm, I'm excited that we can continue to, to focus on as a company. And I think that we can feed off those stories and, and something where I'm really excited to, to tell more of those stories in a, in a unique way over the next few months as well. Um, but specifically when we, when we talk about us in a Bitcoin company, like our, our focus is building tools that help to enable freedom, building tools that help you to reclaim sovereignty. I'm sure that there were some, some Bitcoin specific, thoughts or maybe feedback from speakers that jumped out to you and, and made you say like we need to do this as a company or like i want to fix this solo what, what were some of the things that really jumped out at you uh, from the conference and in, in that way i think the 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 main standout for me was that um a hardware wallet uh, and based the basic concept of a hardware wallet is a step too far for most newcomers especially if they're in uh, emerging markets or oppressive regimes where generally speaking uh, people have uh, less frequent access to, to, to the internet and to um, information. Um, there's just the mere concept of like this physical device that stores a digital uh, asset um, seems is, is, is a foreign concept. I guess the, the other one would be uh, obviously pricing is a huge barrier to mass adoption as well. So um, most people have uh, very little amounts of disposable income. Um, so the idea of spending like $150 on a, on a physical device to store some Bitcoin that you may or may not even be able to afford is just out of the question. So I think as a company, we've already kind of started to address that with Envoy, our mobile app. Um, obviously anybody now with a smartphone can leverage, um, you know, they can install in four taps and have a, a mobile wallet right on their smartphone. Um, so, you know, we, we've already started to make steps to, to make sure that, you know, people can, can benefit from, you know, the hive mind that we've got at foundation, um, and the, you know, the focus on security and UX that we're, we're continually building on. So I think we've already started to fix that a, a little, a little bit. Um, and I guess to, with the, the pricing, um, I would absolutely love, uh, to do a, a cheaper hardware wallet, maybe in the future. Um, you know, that's absolutely not a spoiler. We have no immediate plans for, but it's something that I'd love for us to explore in the future so that we can reach, you know, more of the, of the world market that has uh, less disposable income, but, you know, 
perhaps sees the benefit in having a dedicated device um, to segregate their Bitcoin storage from their day-to-day carry. Yeah, I love that concept of a, a cheaper device. I'm, I'm curious what we can explore there. Um, but I do also like, I think there is also this clear use case for things like Passport and multi-sig setups and that kind of thing for the these broader organizations. Like some of your examples were were people who are running NGOs or companies. So there's definitely like a need for that type of tool at some level. But like you said, people on the ground, the the average person who's fighting for human rights in in Africa is not going to to spend $200 on a passport, which is totally fine. And that's not like our, that's not something that that needs to happen. That's not the goal. And that's where I think Envoy plays a good role and, and future things that we're building will be helpful. Uh, that's where I'm so thankful that we can have open source tools that are freely available and freely usable to, to anyone who has a, a smartphone. It's a it's a huge, a huge deal and a big reason why we will always have Envoy being a, a totally free app. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, I don't know, QA, if you noticed this when we were there, but they were, so some of the people we talked to had already used Bitcoin, like all the examples we used, um, they were people that had already used Bitcoin before, but there were a lot of other dissidents that we stopped by, had a chat with, um, and they had heard about Bitcoin, but they were not sure about it. So, they, I mean, they didn't really know what was going on. So we showed them around, we, you know, download Envoy, whatever. And I think the user experience here is critical. And I'm going to do like a spoiler, well, not a spoiler, but like, like uh, on Envoy, for example, there's, you won't see the word SegWit, right? We use SegWit addresses all the time, but like SegWit is a word that a non-technical user, that it is just... It's just a blocker, right? Someone that someone that just wants to receive Bitcoin to like pay a ransom or like do whatever they want, they don't need to, they don't have to know all these technical terms, right? So I'm gonna go with um, user experience being like another big barrier in like currently existing like wallets and like everyone takes for granted that people know what Taproot is, for example, or or, or just we just talked about multi-sig, like someone that's new to the space, they're like, what are you, like what are you talking about? What is that, right? So. I think this is something that we have very present at Foundation, and we're like trying to make Bitcoin accessible to everyone, like understandable to people that don't necessarily know about Bitcoin. And I think that's that's great. Um, in this regard, I'd say um, I'm going to say that one of the things that I will love to see um, coming forward will be uh, multi multi language, for example, or like having having uh, devices in like different languages, so we can expand to other other markets, right? Um, and then I guess another one that we that I would love to do would be just education and like training people and like teaching them what the Bitcoin basics are and how it works. Because essentially, the more you like say you don't know anything about Bitcoin, you download Envoy, you just you know how to use it as a tool, and that's great. But the more you understand something, the more you really want to learn about it, and the more you care about using it, right? So I don't want to just you know throw Envoy down people's throats to be able to use Bitcoin. I want them to like, once you know how to use uh, Envoy, like that's great. Like now take one more step, like learn how Bitcoin works. Like why uh, there's like, I don't know, confirmations needed or so going down, down that road. Um, Cause we found a lot of people that were like, yeah, what is Bitcoin? Like, I'm like, where do I start? Right. Um, so I think that was, that was eye opening too. Yeah, I think it's a, that's an exciting aspect of it and a daunting one as an educator and someone who who loves to to try and break things down in understandable ways is that there's there's still so much work to do there. Uh, there's still such a need for so many more people to jump in and help out. There's there's such a such a gap where anybody really on Twitter 
uh, who has has understanding of how these tools work, anybody with connections, anybody in communities that are are in need of of using Bitcoin can really step up and, and fill that gap and, and educate. Um, it's definitely something that I'm excited for for us to do more of moving forward uh, and and just for the the passion within the team for for education, for making things as simple as possible, but also helping people to understand the the whys and the hows behind these things. Um, so definitely definitely excited for that. Um, but lastly, I just really wanted to to dive into if there's any one thing that you'd like to impress on listeners as a, a takeaway for for those of us who couldn't be there in person. Yeah, I would say um, Bitcoin right now is not perfect by any means. It probably never will be perfect. Um, you know, it, it's made some clear trade offs to to get to gain the properties that it does, um, and that makes it weaker in other areas. But when used correctly in the right circumstances, like the ones that we've spoken about today, it already is fulfilling its goals of censorship resistant peer-to-peer cash. And and hearing that live and how it's doing that in the real world, not none of this theory of, you know, fancy books and 25 page articles and things like that. Uh, hearing it actually helping people day to day was absolutely awesome. <clears throat> With that said, uh, I think as a, as a, um, as a community, I think we've still got a lot of work to do to lower the barriers to entry. Uh, so, you know, we've spoken about UX within applications. We've spoken yep. about cheaper devices. We've spoken about education. Um, and all of that, you know, combined um, will mean uh, that we can, more people can understand and leverage this technology as a tool for financial freedom worldwide. Um, so I think you know, as a collective, we've got, we've still got a lot of work to do. Um, and finally, I guess, scaling solutions are going to be important you know as the the global hive mind uh, increases and more and more people want to onboard to bitcoin um scaling solutions are going to be super important um so i'm kind of excited to see what the future holds in this regard you know there's lots of things um uh, things like lightning things like arc you know coming around the corner uh, that are in various states of development um clearly some are more packed out than others um, but I'm, you know, excited to see what the future holds. Um, and I think the the main the main takeaway for me is that when we do explore these new solutions, that we absolutely shouldn't uh, compromise on self custody. Um, that is absolutely paramount and and should be the, the the line in the sand for for me personally, at least anyway. So for me, if I had one takeaway to like explain here, like bring from from Oslo, I'd say. Um, shortly that we are on the right side of history like no no oppressive regime has ever like lasted forever right and like building tools for freedom has never been on the on the wrong side of history say i'm gonna go with a couple of examples here that i can think of but like the invention of writing for example right giving people the ability to like send thoughts and ideas in, in the future across generations and and allowing people to build on top of what others did before them or, or one step, taking this one step farther, right? The, the printing press, for example, like this allowed information to flow widely and like cheaply, right? It was a revolution of its own. Um, or, or, or the next one, the, the, the industrial revolution, the invention of say the steam engine, right? Anyone could now hop on a train and just travel crazy distances like previously unimaginable. No new places, I don't know. They, they, they were no longer stuck in the town where they had been born and like this, like, they were not stuck there, right? Like, like it happened with 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 the with everyone else for them in, in the entire history, right? So, um, the latest one would be, for example, the the internet, right? Allowing sharing information, photos, videos, ideas, like you name it, 
instantly anywhere like with anyone in the world i don't think like all these examples that i, I could i could as i just mentioned here i don't think anyone looks back and and no one ever says like well you know what in hindsight uh maybe we should have never invented the, the printing press you know writing was uh, was a mistake the steam engine we should have we should have never done that right the internet was just wrong you know that we should we should ban the internet like no one no one really says that right and that's because all of these things are tools for freedom right tools that have pushed humanity forward in a way or have pushed like have set humans free in one way or another right and what all these tools have in common is that oppressive regimes have always tried to manipulate control uh, block them ever since since they exist so after attending this conference i think the little doubt that i had in that bitcoin is like the next big revolution in freedom technology just vanished being able to like transact with whoever you want without anyone having to approve that like any transaction in like near instant time that's really big so um i think like with all other tools like with all like like all freedom tools before it it bitcoin will will spark a revolution so my takeaway for our listeners today is to keep learning keep educating keep uh, building essentially keep fighting because uh, what i what what this conference like reassured me was that um we absolutely are on the right side of history with bitcoin being um the latest of the uh tools for freedom i love it i love those those comparisons especially printing press and internet i think are such good examples of of things that were were fought by a lot of people uh, and tried to were tried they tried to use them to censor and suppress and control but the things that ultimately have led to human freedom and it's just it's awesome that we're we're we are i think early in bitcoin as a tool for human freedom even though bitcoin's been around for 10 years and i hate the we're still early kind of meme with bitcoin but yeah i i do think that we are early in the, in this sense of actually using bitcoin as a a, a powerful tool i mean even one of your stories was was she started using it back in 2013 which i feel like has got to be one of the earliest cases of of yep. really a, like a real life real world business funding human freedom use case of bitcoin um but a lot of these a lot of these cases have really started in the last few years um so it's it's an exciting place to be uh and and it's i think uh an encouraging and also an inspiring place to be and then that we we have so much more work to do we have so much more that we we need to accomplish to 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 bring down this the barrier of entry like y'all mentioned to to bring it into something that that really everyone who sees the need for freedom can can take and use Bitcoin for that purpose. Um, but it's it's definitely an exciting thing to cover. Uh, thank you both so much for for walking through the conference and walking through through your thoughts and experiences. Uh, any last thoughts before we close out here, guys? Uh, nothing for me. I just thoroughly enjoyed it, and I can see um, Ash is in the audience, so I just want to give him an, uh, a, a shout out because uh, he was one of the. The, one of the small team that was organizing the, the Bitcoin side of things and uh, he did a fantastic job. So just want to say hi to him and uh, yeah, looking forward to, to heading back out to Oslo next year. Yeah, same here. It was, I had an absolute blast, learned a lot. It was an eye-opener. Um, good, good, good point out Q&A. Thank you, Arsh, for everything you did. Alex, Lee, I don't know if you were there, um, but thanks thanks for you too. Um, you guys made it made it great. Um, so yeah, really looking forward to like being there next year as well. Thanks for having us, Seth. Yeah, absolutely. And I 
hell or high water, I will be there next year. So I'm excited to excited to finally join. I'll make it happen one way or another. Hopefully, bring the family along. But uh, thank thank you so much to the HRF, to Alex Gladstein, Alex Lee, to Arsh, uh, to everybody who has poured so much time into into helping to onboard people who are fighting for freedom to Bitcoin uh, and put on the Oslo Freedom Forum. So huge shout out to them. They're the reason that we're able to talk about this stuff and, and hear these stories and walk through. Um, just some of these these powerful examples. So thankful for them. Thank you everybody for jumping in today and look forward to seeing you on the next one. Thanks for jumping in for this episode of Journey to Sovereignty. And I hope you'll join us for our next live Twitter space every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. GMT. Joining us live gives you a chance to listen in, participate, and get your questions answered on the spot. Follow us at FoundationDVCS on Twitter to keep up with the latest news, get notifications when we go live, and much more. See you at the next one, and thanks for joining us on the Journey to Sovereignty.